as I was making my way here today, I thought about how God blessed my life 42 years ago, this Sunday to be exact, as I drove upon the campus of Bishop College 42 years ago, the first person I met on the campus was Pastor Jeffrey Johnson Sr. And our friendship has remained these 42 years and what a blessing it is to have known him and to know him as a friend of 42 years. Uh, God blessed us not only to meet each other but also to become roommates and to see our lives grow together and our families grow together. And for that, I am eternally grateful and thankful to God for he is a master pastor and a preacher par excellence. And this ministry is one within itself. There's none like the Eastern Star Church. And I love talking about what God is doing here at Eastern Star to other friends along the way. And I want to say like the Queen of Sheba said when she went to visit Solomon, the half has not been told. Give yourselves a great big amen. Mark chapter 2, these words are recorded. When Jesus returned to Capernaum several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus, seeing their faith. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven, but some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy, only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat and walk. So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. I want to talk from the subject, whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Why don't you just look at a neighbor and say, raise the roof. Raise the roof. Perhaps you have heard the phrase, teamwork makes the dream work. Here is the idea. We function more effectively as a team. When we consider the work of ministry, the needs are too great for us to make a real impact functioning 
as individualists. The power of teamwork makes us more effective in the work of the kingdom of God. And so today in our text, we see the power of teamwork and how working as a team brought about a victory for a man who would not have been helped. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus began his very public ministry in the city of Capernaum. He entered the town and immediately began to preach about the kingdom of God. In that chapter, Jesus also demonstrated his great power. He cast out demons and healed diseases of every sort. From Mark 1 and 32, we learn that Jesus must have healed nearly every sick person in town. His miracles eclipsed his message. The people flocked to Jesus to see what he would do next. Each miracle left them hungry for more to escape the frenzy. Jesus and his four disciples left Capernaum, began a preaching tour through Galilee. We discover now that the preaching tour is over and Jesus and his men returned to Capernaum. The town was an important place in the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. Capernaum served as the northern headquarters for his ministry. It was here that he put his great healing power on public display. It was here that he put his great healing power not only for the public to see, but for the people who are in need to experience it. It was here in Capernaum that Jesus Christ made his very public claims to be the Messiah. But Capernaum had a problem. The city valued the miracles more than the message or the Messiah. They wanted the spectacular and they rejected our Lord's offer for salvation. As a result, Jesus later pronounced a curse upon this city in Luke chapter 10, verse 13. Those who have received much from the hand of the Lord and rejected it will face the greater judgment. That's what Luke chapter 12, verse 48 records. So Jesus and his men returned to Capernaum and we're told that they enter the house. This is probably a reference to the house of First Peter 1 and 29. They entered town with no fanfare, but word soon got out that Jesus was back in Capernaum. When the people heard that the miracle worker had returned, they flocked to the house where he was staying. And I tell you, my brothers and sisters, there's nothing like a church rumor. In fact, negativity can spread faster than truth. But in this text, we thank God that the rumor and the word that got out was the good news of Jesus Christ. Most of the rumors that started in our churches are negative. And it's interesting to me how negativity will run around the world before the truth can ever tie its shoes. The greatest rumor that can get out on a church is for people to start hearing the rumor 
that Jesus is in the church. And an amen goes right there. And when that word gets out, people will start coming. Jesus has drawing power. When he is lifted up and the word gets out, people will come. For Jesus said, if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I'll draw all men unto me. Jesus is in the house and the crowds have come to see him and to see what he will do. When Jesus is in the house, amazing things will happen when Jesus is in the house. Let's look into this wonderful scene and watch as this event unfolds before our eyes. As I load my little red wagon, help me here. Notice the popularity of the preaching in verse 1. When Jesus returned to Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door, while he was preaching God's word to them. As we think about what is happening nowadays in our world, we have allowed COVID-19 to keep us from getting to church. But now when you think about stadiums, football stadiums, football season is starting, we've discovered that people don't mind packing out football stadiums. In fact, um, I've been hanging out at Texas Stadium myself right there in the DFW area. I saw many making their way to the stadium here in Indianapolis on last night to watch the Colts in their final preseason game and to watch Tom Brady walk out on the field, that old dinosaur throw the football one more time. I've discovered that people will pack out stadiums for football games, for concerts. They will show up for wrestling mania. They will show up for musicians. And they will show up for all kinds of reasons. Uh, Garth Brooks, they'll show up uh, for their favorite artists. They'll show up for NASCAR. They'll, they'll show up for tennis. They'll show up, yes, even for golf. But the question is, what about for the word of God? Oh, my brothers and sisters, it's not enough just to draw a crowd, but the question is, what will you do with the crowd? The text said that the crowd had shown up because Jesus was there in the house. And what you do with the crowd makes all the difference in the world. Just a few weeks ago, we heard about J-Lo uh, and uh, how she had married uh, Ben Affleck in uh, Las Vegas. And as we thought about that, and as I gave thought to it, um, it was interesting because uh, someone said that uh, this was her sixth wedding ring uh, since 1977. And then some sports commentators went on to say that uh, J-Lo has more wedding rings than the Dallas Cowboys since 1997. The question for each and every one of us is what will we do with the crowd that gathers. We gather for all kinds of reasons, but often the reasons that we gather have nothing to do with God. My brothers and sisters, I've discovered that Jesus used this opportunity to increase his celebrity in Capernaum. 
Uh, he could have performed a few miracles and, and the people would have been eating out of his hand. After all, that is probably why they came. They came to see uh, the Lord work some more miracles. They came to see him do the extraordinary in their midst. Imagine their surprise and disappointment when Jesus began to preach to them. Some folks uh, think that a service that includes preaching is routine or boring. They exalt everything in the service but preaching. They get excited about singing. They get excited about praise and worship. They get excited about dancing and they walk out during the preaching. Or worst of all, they fall asleep during the preaching moment. Can I tell you the preaching moment is the only fresh part of the service? I said the preaching part is the only fresh part of the service. The choir rehearses over and over and over the same songs and often they sing the same songs from their repertoire. The praise team sings the same songs from their repertoire. The praise dance ministry, they dance to the same familiar songs from their repertoire. The preacher is the only one who's having to write a new message week after week and for that which is most relevant and has eternal life, it's the thing we devalue the most. And an ouch goes right there. Tell somebody shame on us in the chat room. It is clear to me that to Jesus, the message was far more important than the miracles. We do not know what the Lord preached that day, but we can safely say that he probably reached back into the Old Testament and preached about the same things that had been preached the first time he was in town. For in Mark 1 and 14, it says, Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He probably preached about the kingdom of God, the power of God, and the salvation of God. In fact, he said it in Luke 4 and 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captive, and the recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Surely Jesus preached the central message of the Bible, salvation and faith through grace. Preaching was central to the life and the ministry of the Lord Jesus, and the same ought to be central to each and every one of us. I, I love good singing. I love the testimonial meetings. I love special services, but nothing can take the place of preaching. Do I have a witness here? Preaching is God's chosen method to reaching into the hearts of lost souls and, and, and sharing the gospel of grace. Uh, for the Bible says in Romans 10 and 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace who bring glad tidings of good things in first corinthians 1 and 21 for since in the wisdom of god the world through wisdom did not know god it pleased god through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe 
And therefore, in 1 Corinthians 1 and 21, nothing should ever be allowed to crowd out the message. We should pray that our church will stay focused on the message. It would be easier to slack up and to back off, but we must stand firm on the word of God because it is the primary business of the church. Uh, we're not to be focused on packing pews and uh, packing out bank accounts, but we're called to win the loss and to win the soul. If in now and then we ought to get caught up in a good old-fashioned soul-saving crusade tell somebody don't grow cold to the word we see in our text the need to get someone to jesus for them to hear the word of god in other words we see a unified concern and compassion the paralyzed man could not move about on his own the crowd was great, but still there was a need for someone else to get to Jesus. And I want to say that to each and every one of us, that no matter how packed out our church has become, there's still somebody else who needs to get to Jesus. And we ought not ever get content with just the fact of knowing that the house is full because there's no sinner shortage in the world. And so here are some men who are concerned about a friend getting to Jesus, and they're interested to do any and everything that is within their power to get him to Jesus because they know that if anything is going to happen in his life, if anything's going to improve, if anything's going to be different, it's going to be because this man had experienced the power of Jesus Christ. We understand that he is in a helpless and a hopeless state, and he has need of help. And therefore, they said, we've got to get him to Jesus. we got to get him under the power and under the authority of the word. And I want you to know there's power and authority in the word of God. And so we see a unified concern, but then we also see unified convictions. The team believed in the power of the word. Jesus was teaching. The team believed in the possibility of the word that if this man was going to experience a change in his life, it was because he got a word from God. And tell somebody, you need a word from the Lord. Just one word will remove all doubt. One word from the Lord can change your life. One word from the Lord can turn your entire situation around. That's why you came to church today. Tell me, I came because I need a word from the Lord. And aren't you glad that each Sunday you come to the house, when you come to the house of God, there's a word that is shared that changes and transforms your life. That had it not been for that word you received when you came to the house of God, you don't know where you would be. In fact, you might have left the job on Friday about to lose your mind, about to go postal. But when you come to church, you get a word from God and that word changes your life, changes your outlook, changes your perspective and gives you a sense of determination a sense of confidence and a sense of courage to know that you can make it you can go further that word changes your family it changes your finances it changes your future it changes everything about your life tell somebody we need a word we see unified commitment the team decided to work together to get the paralyzed man to Jesus. The team didn't mind carrying someone along the way. And every now and then, we've got to learn how to carry someone else along the way. It's not just about you being saved, but it's about helping somebody else get what they need from God. 
And I'm excited about this because these men are interested in helping someone else get to Jesus Christ. And we have a responsibility to help someone else get to know Jesus. Here's the second thing. We notice the power of preaching. The power of preaching. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They, they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd, so they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. Right in the middle of this preaching service, something spectacular happens. Four men bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. They believe that if they can get this man to Jesus, then Jesus can heal his body. And when they arrive at the house, the crowd is so large, they cannot get in through the window. They cannot get in through the door. And so they decide to go up on the roof. Now, as we think about biblical roofs and their construction, now houses in that day were usually constructed with a flat roof. A set of stairs on the side of the house allowed access to the roof, which is used much like we use a deck in our day. These roofs were usually made by laying timbers across the top of the house. These timbers were then covered by a layer of branches. This was covered by a layer of clay tiles. And finally, a thick layer of mud was placed on the very top. This was rolled and pressed until it was very hard and rainproof. So here is the humorous scene. Jesus is preaching in the house. These four men carry their friend up the staircase onto the roof of the house. Once there, they began to dig through the roof until they have made an opening large enough to lower their friend into the house. Oh, my brothers and sisters, can you imagine the scene in the house as Jesus is preaching? The sound of digging is heard overhead. After a short time, dirt and wood began to fall on the crowd assembled below. And then blue sky breaks through the darkness and a man is lowered into the room. I wonder what Peter is thinking. He probably didn't like uh, the thought of seeing his house torn up. He, he may have wondered if uh, uh, his own homeowner's insurance would cover the cost of repair, but Peter couldn't stop it. Uh, the, the, the same crowd that kept the four men and the paralyzed man out of the house kept Peter in the house. And I wonder what was Jesus' thought. I imagine there's a smile on his face as he realizes what is happening. I'm sure that he is amused by the whole thing. I wonder what the crowd thought. Surely this had never happened in a worship service before. They were, they, they were no doubt amazed at what was taking place. It was a blessing when the Lord invades. It's a blessing when the Lord invades our worship and takes over the service. It's an awesome thing when the Holy Spirit breaks up the order of service and takes control of the worship. I don't understand how he moves, but I'm glad that, that he does. Something uh, wonderful always takes place when Jesus is in the house. It makes all the difference when he, he's present in a service. Tell somebody the Holy Ghost will show up. And the Holy Ghost will show out in the service. If we can get out of the way, let me say a word about these four men who brought their friend to Jesus. These men were willing to do whatever it took 
to get their friend to the Lord. If you think about the Wright brothers and their first flight, think about their uh, thought that we can fly through the air. It was a difficult task, and in fact, their first flight was only a few feet in the air and only a few tenths of a mile. But it was that that inspired them to keep on going. And as I made my way to Indianapolis this week, I thought about the Wright brothers, that what was difficult for them at first has now become something of a norm. How I got in that airplane and flew at 33,000 feet, faster than 550 miles per hour, and less than an hour and a half landed in Indianapolis. But it didn't start out easy, it started out difficult. But because the Wright brothers believed in flight, they kept working until today we see it as a normal situation. All I want you to know is that when it comes to winning souls, we, we might encounter difficulty along the way, but we gotta be willing to take on the difficulty, take on the task, do all we can because what we do today will make life better for somebody else down the road. Oh, my brothers and sisters, it was not easy to carry that man up on the roof. It was a difficult task. The Bible says that Jesus saw their faith. Faith is something that works in the heart, and then it works its way to the outside. In fact, we learned, yes, that as they demonstrated their faith, this man experienced a healing and a deliverance in his body. Faith uh, will cause you to go to work. And my brothers and sisters, faith without works is dead. They, they dared to do what was different. They were willing to think outside the box for them. It was not business as usual. It took ingenuity to think of breaking up the roof to get this man to Jesus. They, they dared to do what was, uh, yes, uh, debt related. They, they might have had to pay for the roof, but they were not worried about it. They didn't know what the cost of the replacement of the roof would be. They didn't know if Peter had homeowners insurance or not. Uh, but they knew that this man needed to get to Jesus. Some people know the cost of everything, but they don't know the value of anything. The cost of one lost soul is too valuable for anyone to be lost. And every now and then, if we're going to make a difference in somebody's life, we got to learn how to take things up on the roof. We got to know how to tear up the roof. In other words, sometimes we got to raise the roof. Oh, a few years ago, I heard the story of Pastor Corey Brooks in Chicago, who was concerned about the gang violence in his neighborhood, concerned about the senseless shooting and killings that were taking place. And he decided to make a difference in his neighborhood. And he went up on the roof and started a campaign and said that he was going to stay up on that roof until he could raise enough money to buy a dilapidated hotel and tear it down and build a community center that would transform the lives of those young people in that community. And therefore, he was blessed through that effort. And he raised enough money to buy that hotel and, and to have it torn down. But then he didn't stop there. Recently he went back up on that roof and as he's up on that roof through the winter through the, I mean the rain, the sleet and the snow and the sweltering sun and the heat of the summer he has stayed up on that roof and he has been able now to raise millions of dollars toward the development and the building of a community center what he could not do on the ground he learned how to do it up on the roof somebody thought he was crazy Somebody thought it was radical. Somebody thought it was strange, but he went up on the roof. Tell somebody, raise the roof. 
And my brothers and sisters, in a few days, they'll be breaking ground on that new community center. Every now and then, you got to go out of your way to make a difference in the lives of other people. They lowered the man to Jesus. The paralyzed man, he's lowered into the service. Jesus witnesses the extent and the depth of their faith. And his ability is now demonstrated before them. Jesus does something amazing. He says, son, thy sins are forgiven thee. Wait a minute. This man was brought to Jesus for healing, and Jesus deals with his sins. Why? It seems clear that the man was paralyzed because of some spiritual problem in his life. Doctors had determined that over 50% of our illnesses are the result of emotional problems. This man was sick because of sin. And surely this man that the four had brought to Jesus didn't realize that Jesus would not just deal with his paralysis, but Jesus would deal with his sin problem. But Jesus knew the truth that sin was the greatest problem. Jesus dealt with it first. And then he dealt with the physical condition of the man. Oh, my brothers and sisters, Jesus looks at each and every one of us and he sees our greatest need and then he moves to our physical need. It doesn't matter what you're facing. Your greatest need has always been and will always be spiritual. And then the only place you will find help is in Jesus Christ. So let's examine the Lord's words to this man in detail for a moment. Jesus says, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. That man didn't realize the full impact of what Jesus was saying to him, but those were the greatest words he had ever heard. Son, the word translated son is the same word that is often translated child. It's a word that conveys the idea of tenderness. When Jesus spoke to this man, he spoke to him tenderly and he spoke to him as a son. The word speaks of a family. In other words, Jesus says, you're part of God's family. And that's what happens when a lost sinner meets the master. He not only deals with our sin, but he invites us into sonship, into daughtership. He embraces us into the family of God. And that's a shout that goes right there. But then listen to what else happens. He says, forgiven. This word implies that the man's guilt, shame, and sin has been taken away. The first word that's brought uh, to him in, to, in terms of the family is the second that brought him into fellowship. Sins are forgiven. And there ought to be somebody who can testify today that your sins have been forgiven. Aren't you glad that we serve a God who forgives our sins, who gives us a second chance? He gives us another chance. He gives us chance after chance. And now that Jesus is dealing with this, notice what happens. The man experienced a change in his life. You ought to tell somebody, thank God I'm forgiven. Thank God that the Savior has power to forgive sin and erase our past and, and forgive us of our guilt and our shame and give us new possibilities, new hope, new life. And so when we think about what happened in this man's life, there was a team effort brought on by four men and they studied the goal and they worked to, to achieve the goal. The team realized that they could not get in the house through the window. They could not get into the door. They couldn't get in through conventional methods. So they decided to go up on the roof. The team shared the goal and the team decided to take 
make an unusual approach to get into the house. The team stuck with the goal. The team said, we will not be defeated in getting this paralyzed man to Jesus. In other words, they said, we've come too far not to accomplish what we intended to achieve. We've come too far not to get this man to Jesus. We will do whatever it takes. Tell somebody whatever it takes. Third and finally, notice the proof of preaching. The text says that as Jesus was preaching, some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus immediately, Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to stand up, take, pick up your mat and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. Jesus had just given this poor paralyzed man the greatest gift that he could have ever given him, forgiveness and acceptance. And now here's somebody standing around criticizing. And there's always somebody who seeks to criticize what God is doing in your life. But I've come to tell you, you got to keep going because only you know what God saved you from. Only you know where you were when God saved you. Only you know what your life was like before you met Jesus Christ. And if you know God has changed your life, if you know God has transformed your life, if God has made a difference in your life, then you ought not be ashamed to let the world know what God has done for you. Somebody ought to break out in a praise and say, nobody but Jesus. I don't care how you criticize me. I tell you what, God has made the difference in my life. Oh, I thank God that I've had a past, but I thank God for my present. Is there anybody here that knows God has made you brand new? Oh, aren't you glad that if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things are passed away, and behold, all things shall become new. And that's why every now and then, you ought to thank God for where he has brought you from. Look at the confrontation. Jesus, he knew what they were thinking. And Jesus says to them, whether it's, let me ask this question. Is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk? They said, thy sins be forgiven thee. That's blasphemy. Jesus said, well, I tell you what, I'm going to confirm that I've got the power to do more than that. Jesus looked at that man, and when he looked at that man, he said, I tell you what, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the Bible says that man jumped up, took up his bed. Jesus said, go on home now and started walking. And that man started walking. And there ought to be somebody here who can testify that not only has God forgiven your sins, but God's given you power to walk in the newness of life. And it doesn't matter what other folk think about it. Sometimes folks sit around and act all holy and sanctimonious as though they've never done anything wrong. They act as though they've got a halo on their head and wings on their back on their way to heaven anyhow. But that ain't my story. My testimony is I was tore up from the floor. I was jacked up. I was messed up. I was as bad as I could be. But I thank God Jesus looked beyond my faults and saw my needs and he gave me newness in life. Is there anybody here who can testify that he picked you up? 
turn your life around. Is there anybody here who can testify what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart? I've got newness of life. I've got new joy, new hope, and new determination. The old folks said, I looked at my hands and they looked new. I looked at my feet and they did too. I've got a new walk. I've got a new talk. I've got a new attitude. And then they followed it up by saying places I used to go I don't go anymore. Things I used to say, I don't say them anymore. Things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. Because why? I've been changed. I've been transformed by the power of the blood of the Lamb. Is there anybody here this morning who can help me raise the roof? Is there anybody here that's not ashamed to raise a praise? Tell somebody, nobody but Jesus. Is there anybody here that know he's worthy to be praised? Come on and give him some praise. Lift your hands. Lift your voice and tell him thank you for what you've done for me. You did whatever it took and now I'll do whatever it takes to help win somebody else. When I look back over my life and see how far the Lord has brought me, I just got to tell him, thank you, thank you, thank you. Have they been good to you? Shout yes! 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 Yes!